Welcome everyone to the OG pod. Today I have Amy Stahorn, who is the founder and CEO of Big Monocle, an award-winning brand agency. And you've worked with Fortune 100 companies around the world. You have a really impressive client list there. Uh, I know Amy as an amazing friend, chef, karaoke extraordinaire, psychedelic adventurer. Um, you're such a talented person. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Caleb. So let's start where you and I met. It's a cool story in Mexico City, either 2015, 2016. You were just uh, joining this group of entrepreneurs uh, to kind of like unwind and de-stress after what was kind of like a long period of being overstressed and overworked. Um, I think that's a good place for us to start. Yeah, I'd also just moved to Utah from Silicon Valley, and so I was trying to build connections and network and friendships and figure out what Utah was all about and who was there. Should we should we throw a shout out to uh, Trent and the Convoy team? I just did it. Sure. Shout out. <laughs> Convoy Ventures. Met a lot of cool uh, people that way, yeah. Totally, totally. So we were in Mexico City, and um, what what was cool about that trip is everyone got a little bit of time to do one-on-ones with each other, and one of the things that stood out to me was um, just that you were very much open to new things, open to new experiences, and you seemed like at that point in your life, you were very, uh, I, I, the word sensitive comes to mind, but just like open, open is a better word. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, I had just moved to Utah from the Bay Area and was deconstructing my faith, like deconstructing religion, um, and was just wondering how the world worked and what was out there and what I, I don't know, what I could do. And I mean, in Mexico City, we were thrust into a, a wrestling Eating ring. Scorpions. Like, so if we want to talk about being Lucha open. Libras. <laughs> Run in the ropes of the Lucha Libre. Na- naked and arrested. <laughs> oh, no. That's right. It was a good time. God bless Scott Paul. Uh, God bless him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, travel is such a great way to open your mind to new experiences. And you really get a different connection with somebody just like when you share a meal with them, which I've had the pleasure of doing with you in your home many times. And I can attest at the at your... Uh, prowess in the kitchen. And uh, um, I I just love, I love your attitude towards things. Everything, you take a lot of pride and joy in aesthetics, I feel. And I think that's what makes your brand agency so successful. Um, I actually had a a Vedic astrology reading this uh, fall in India. And um, I brought up the, the high... Like I do have good taste and I have high standards for how I want things to be in my life and for my clients and, and even, you know, for my own skills and, and I'm, what I'm working on right now is being more gentle with myself um, and more gentle with everything in the way of the world. My mantra for 2023 is piano, piano, just slowly, slowly, gently, gently. And I, I asked about, uh, you know, kind of this way of being kinder and gentler to myself. And and he said, I said, you know, I can have high standards. And 
And he said, no. And this priest doesn't know me. He just was reading my chart. And he said, uh, I forget the phrase he said, but it was like, it's impossible. Or it's like, it's beyond impossible or something, this standard that I have. Um, so I think it's part of what makes me good at what I do. And, but also, uh, you know, that informs where I was coming from and where I'm going, like always trying to be the good girl, always trying, you know, in church, trying to get the gold star. Um, yeah. Well, it means I'm good at food. (laughs) Well, good at food, good at design, good at branding and creativity and in spirituality and meditation and yoga. Like one of my favorite things about you is you have so many interests and you pursue them and you build communities and you bring people together. And it's something I've always observed about you that I appreciate Thank you. is this community aspect. It's a, it's a thing. It's a gift that you have. So, uh, that's a pretty interesting thing. You were in India for a month, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Like it was a good long weeks. time. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the, uh, impetus or like what kind of, why, why that, why'd you take that trip? Um, so I went to do a, a Pancha Karma detox retreat. So it's a, the Pancha Karma is a, uh, it means five actions. So it's like five things they take you through. It's ancient healing wisdom out of India, which actually was really healing to meet ideas and frameworks and modalities that were centuries, you know, more than centuries old, given that we come from the West uh, the west coast of america and where from a it's bubble within young. the west <laughs> yeah where everything is very young so uh it was a it's a process in which you um you first like let go of a lot of toxins in your body so you spend about two weeks detoxing and then two weeks building you back up how do you then... detox is it like sweat lodges and any kind of like medicines or how do you detox? <laughs> it's really gnarly um it's very medical so the the intake procedure was uh like meeting with a doctor in the west like what's your medical history what medicines are you taking what ailments are we focusing on for me it was um I just really went for a reboot of my whole system and I I've created some space in my business where I can take a month off so um it just felt like a good time to do that yes which I'm very proud of we can talk about that Uh, but the, the detox, um, you end up drinking ghee, like, do you know what ghee is? It's like a butter? butter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I cooked with it, ghee. but I didn't know that it was a, people took it as any kind of a healing thing or. Yeah. In Ayurvedic medicine, it's, it's one of their big tools. Almost everything has ghee in it. Um, hmm. and you, you drink it for a series of days until it's coming out of your pores until they rub their fingernail on your hand or on your skin and ghee comes off till your eyes are yellow. Wow. You have this wow. like ghee glow until you're almost like you can't tolerate it anymore. They kind of flood you wow. with ghee, like progressive amounts of ghee. And it's pretty much all you eat in a day, but it is able to penetrate um, every level of your cells into your bones and your blood, mm-hmm. your tissue and then you have to bring it all back out. So the, it was really beautiful because the the center I was at is fourth generation Ayurvedic medicine. I think it's 400 years 
in the making. So it's this really ancient forest where they harvest all the medicine there and they make it there in a, the pharmacy is, uh, it would be just, it's a little bit scary coming from the West, but it's like how mm -hmm. they've been doing it forever. And the efficacy at this center is like 30% better than any other program, large part because the land, the medicine's coming right from the land and they're making it right there. They're not buying pharmaceutical. And this was a solo trip, somewhere. right? You, you, you just went off I went into with... the world. Oh, did you <laughs> I, I took my people? best friend. Yeah. One of my best friends, okay. Zina. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, so, uh, we went together, which was good. Um, it was very good to have her there. So um, you're drinking ghee, which is essentially butter. Uh, yes, and clarified butter. Clarified butter. And is there any kind of like other parts of this, of the ritual of the cleansing? Yeah, of, so of the that's cleansing? The, the first part. And it's actually charming because the doctor comes. I have a clip I can send you. But the doctor comes to your little, we had this little casita. And he would come to the porch and he would say a prayer in very like meditative like Sanskrit kind of chanty prayer and then we would drink the ghee we would go running into the garden first to get lemon leaves because you could crush them and s smell that so you wouldn't smell the ghee mm -hmm. um and then um you it's so gentle it's so gentle and slow and that was part of what inspired my mantra for 2023 it's like we're we're not gonna like just do a bunch a series of like enemas or something like we would do in the U.S. Like out of the blue, it was like five days of drinking ghee and getting ready. And by the end, I was, I literally spent six hours laying in bed like a corpse, like my hands across my chest, couldn't even move. I was so sick. So the doctor wanted to give me one more day of ghee, but he's like, I don't think you could tolerate it. You're basically like deathy. But I think it's because it was pulling all the toxins back into my bloodstream. And then you spend... You go through verashana, I think the term. Um, I think there's a few different things, but expunging it from your body. So uh, they give you medicated enemas. They give you, you do the sweat box. So you're sweating it out. You're shitting it out. You're, you know, you're, yeah. you can vomit yeah. it out. I didn't have to do any vomiting. Um, Was there any spend, psychedelics as part of this? If you don't mind me asking. Just, uh, there weren't, like no. Oh, um, wow. But there so was this is kind all... of an, yeah, just like breathing practices and uh -huh. kind of like these ancient techniques. That's very yeah. interesting. Uh, I think uh, THC is a part of traditional Ayurvedic medicine that's kind of been removed, but the doctor spoke about when he was a boy what it was like. Um, and so it was, I think, other than things that are coming back out of your tissues, like it, there were definitely components of it that felt really psychedelic, but it was a lot of uh, just breath work, mindfulness, noticing what's coming up in your body and like deliberately feeling it. I did a lot of crying actually about my cesarean that I had with, I have one child and I, he was born via cesarean and there was grief, deep grief that came up really immediately in my body about that process, about kind of feeling like it was stunted. Like my, my body, this is, I'm getting teary. I, um, my body felt like I didn't get to finish. Like I didn't get to complete that whole process. So it was almost like I had like lost my baby in a way. Like there was like a deep grief that came up in my body where I feel like there's probably still work to be done. Um, just to feel like that process completed. Cause These there's a lot that happens. 
are so important to get closure on. And when you don't have closure, it's just like some thread is open in your brain and it just becomes background stress and anxiety mm -hmm. and pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's so fortunate and amazing that you were able to go and spend that time to kind of like have some of these types of revelations. So maybe let's talk about how you even put yourself in a position in life where you can go to India for a month. Cause that's a pretty cool thing to yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I almost burned out and started, uh, getting real about what it would take to keep me engaged so we can go to burnout later, but I hired a COO a couple years ago and his goal was to allow me some space and some time to rest and recuperate. So I started with, uh, working five days a week and then, um, just having the flexibility to be done whenever I was done with work because he was there doing things. I started to be a liability in the company because I didn't, I really hate revising statements of work. I don't mind writing it the first time, like talking to a client, finding what they need, writing a scope, but like the nitty gritty of revising that and even being made a vendor at certain big companies can be exhausting. It can be months. It can take months. And you like, become a bottleneck probably. And I become a bottleneck because I don't want to do it. I don't want to revise the timeline again. I don't want to revise. Like it's just not my gift in this world. It's not what I'm meant to do at all. So, uh, arduous labor, manual work. Yeah. yeah, you're yeah it turns out, yeah, it turns out like this really simple stuff. I was actually a, a pretty big liability because I didn't want to do it anymore. And in part, I think I just forced myself to do it long beyond my capacity to do it because but don't you think don't, going yeah. back to what you were saying about being like um wanting to be like the perfect mormon or being like a perfectionist or having like these unreasonably high standards that's going to come out in your work and you want things to be just so and you have a, a preference yeah. and an aesthetic and you know how you want it to be and when it's yeah. not that it's bothersome yeah like it's yeah. true it's I, I feel the delegate, same way basically you know it's, it, it's very hard to delegate. Like, how do you systemize who you are and how you want things to be in the world? And how do you build a culture that can just do it without you and, or can do it like you would do it and make the decisions as if you would do it. And, uh, you know, that's, yeah, that is the magic. That's how you get somebody like Elon Musk is they have found a way to replace themselves again and again and again mm -hmm. with trusted individuals that will make the same yeah. call they would because they've been trained on his, yeah. on his, uh, interactions or I don't know, yeah. like that's what I imagine. Um, so you're burned out and you're looking for help. So you hire this COO. Um, I imagine that it was even more burnout at first because now you got to do your job and train this guy, but yeah. it sounds <laughs> yeah. like in the end it actually, <laughs> uh, did free up time. Yeah. Well, the, and you I guys think, operate in an interesting way that kind of fits into this whole ethos, the four-day work week. Four-day. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think uh, time, like, time has been something that's been on my side as far as medicine, if we're talking about, like, yoga and ice bathing and therapy and psychedelics and all of the things that have been part of the cocktail of getting to a good spot, like, giving myself time to to think and to process and to, to operate. Like probably I first started to really prioritize my own health, my own burnout, my own energy, my life when we moved from the Bay area to Utah, which was right around the time I met you. It's I, I think I met you in the fall and I had moved to Utah in July. 
So, or maybe oh, right after it must have been 2016 because we didn't move to Utah. I think it was. I think it um, was. And it was in that time that, you know, moving to Utah, strange as it may seem, helped me leave the Mormon church because I finally was off this like perpetual motion machine of like having jobs and having responsibilities and having contacts and, and, and like working full time and having a kid and like, there was no time for me and there was no time to think. So especially when you're in that type of an organization, it's like a second job. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and yeah, especially if you are hardworking, have no boundaries and are perfectionists, like you're going to get handed a lot of jobs to see some, a lot of things through. So, uh, and I That's would say interesting again, though, you would, you would think that like going to Utah would kind of like ingrain you more in the culture, but sometimes it's like a mirror and you kind of see things differently. I, I have no problems with the Mormon church. I think that, um, if it works for you, just like any religion that works for you, that's great. You know, that is great. But I do think that a lot of people get trapped in these singular ways of thinking and mm-hmm. it doesn't service them. It services an institution. Yeah. And that can happen in jobs and that can happen in religions and even in families. And so yeah. finding a way to create that space for yourself is so difficult because it kind of feels selfish, right? Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. put on my oxygen mask first. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Do you know how much work I had to do to believe that the health of like that me taking care of myself would actually serve my family and my company and my clients like years. What kind of work years. was, yeah. Like what kind of work was that? And I mean, and why do you think that is so hard? <laughs> like, cause that is a really difficult step to, for people to take. Uh, we could do a whole podcast about probably unpacking that, but I can rattle off a few. I mean, I've been in um, group CEO coaching things with other entrepreneurs and pretty much all of us were at burnout and none of us were truly, I, I was a little more, I'm at the better part of a decade of healing. So I've been doing the work for a long time. So I could, I could actually see that taking care of myself was having an impact on everybody else. But, um, I, I don't think uh, most of the time it's, it comes down to you, right? If you're going to make payroll, if you're going to land that gig, if you're going to get this project done, well, if you're, um, if you're hiring and firing and managing people, if you're being there for your team, if you have a really high demand religion that you're part of, and you're also showing up there, if you have a really high demand hobby and you're showing up there, if you're like involved in any communities, like communities. Yeah. So there can be a lot of demand every direction and you, you have to give yourself permission to take care of yourself and to take inventory on that. And, and then you're, it's deep, it's levels of work. So do we, we can start with codependency. Like, um, I grew up quite codependent. Um, there's a lot of people pleasing behavior built into me. There's a lot of beliefs that I can give other people peace. Like that's part of why I burned out so hard. Cause I thought I could give my clients my peace and I could give my family my peace and my parents my peace and my employees my peace and my strength and my, you know, so it's sort of like, I could, I, I had this ability to do hard things, but also this belief that like I could save them. And in fact, for a long time, it was, if you wanted me to do something, you just had to say you needed me. 
like, I need you so bad. There's no one else who can do that until I did enough work to, to not be flattered when a client calls because they have a presentation to the CEO and they, I'm the only person that will do, but it's in a week, you know, like now I get upset because I'm like, if this was, has been on the count, you know, when these meetings are coming, you know how important they are. Like you just didn't want to do the planning and the time to, to like hire and pay me for my attention to build this beautifully with you and for you. And now I, now you want me to save the day and saving the day used to be a quite addictive. It is because it just feels great to be needed actually. And I think that's important for people is to know that they are needed. Like, man, what kind of a life would that be if you just woke up every day and you're like, nobody needs me. Well, that would kind of be a bad life. Like you, you want to put yourself in a position where you actually do have some kind of responsibility and and that I do think is part of what gives people purpose. But then it can kind of become malignant in the fact that one, sometimes you're serving others to avoid your own problems. And so when you do do that self-work and you do start introspecting and be like, well, why do I do this? What is going on and how do I change it? Then, um, well, you have to face your problems then. And that is uncomfortable. And you can't just like justify it away with like, it's so easy, especially as an entrepreneur to just give everything to the work and just be like, I'm not going to think about my diet. I'm not going to think about exercise. I'm not going to think about family. I'm not going to think about friends. I'm building the thing, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. but you got to find a way to like, um, assert balance in all things, but that's, you know, it's an impossible challenge. Well, and also take or something you have to become do inventory enough to know that you're not the victim to what's going on. I wasn't a victim to people not planning ahead for their big meetings. I was so I was getting my worth from being needed and, and for showing up heroically and training people to help call me for that. Right. Like they're going to call me. You train people that way. I'll give them Christmas. I'll give them my Christmas break to pull something heroic off that feels so important at the time that we all forgot about two weeks later, it doesn't feel important at all. And in fact, like the client no longer really values all that work because it's done and they have it, you know, it's, yeah, it's a, a lot of hard lessons in terms of, of like, how am I creating my reality? How am I, uh, owning this and how am I not a victim to, to all of it? Well, there's currency in being a victim and there's emotional support there's almost nothing wrong with it other than it doesn't solve the problem. And it is like this form of, um, I do want to say weakness because the, the, the way to really look at situations, even if like you were treated unfairly, totally, there's just no power in that. There's, there's nothing that you can gain in meditating on that thought other than misery. But maybe yeah. if you meditate on what kernel, what like a uh, small iota, like what thing could I have changed so that this would have been a better outcome or whatever, you know, just gone smoother, then I think that's where you do find the power and you do find um, some way to learn. And in that way, there is no loss. Assuming you I actually mean, tr- do learn. Truly. I mean, it's all, it's all part of the story, right? It's all part of the journey. Yeah. And it's all there. So, so where are we, from. where, where are we in our story? Where well, codependency, um, you've hired the COO. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's go. Well, well you're, we're uh, just one, one other note, like I was saying, this could be a whole podcast, but if we're talking about, uh, 
how to how to integrate that like your health and well-being will serve your family and your clients and your company um taking care of my health and my well-being and my peace actually will help me show up there so it's like an, an unprogramming that your belief that your needs don't matter so i had a really deep programming around my needs not mattering and that i was uh i could kind of give my peace to everybody else and i could give my strength to everybody else and my power to everybody else and what happened in reality was i mean a good example of this is from religion where i could live my life in a way that would betray me for my parents so they could be happy so they could have peace mm-hmm. and they could still not choose peace they could still mm-hmm. choose to be unhappy with me like and that happened like i was i was just trying so hard to be mormon and to be a good mormon and and so i was betraying That's such a great danger of living for other people is when yeah. you are living for other people you're not only kind of you're setting yourself up for the fact that those sacrifices might not even be effective you know yeah. like yeah and they get to choose how they feel right it's really that's it's controlling and codependent and a lot of other things to and manipulative to uh live in a way to get an ex, uh response from them so you know i'm doing this so they can be happy with me i'm doing this so they uh this person won't be mad at me or whatever you know like they still get to choose they still get to choose no matter what i'm doing I can only control what I'm doing. I can't control how that's yeah. experienced by them or what they decide to feel. And so, like, I think undoing the belief that you can give anyone your peace, that you can make anyone happy, they still get to choose all that. And standing there, it was like, well, I, I'm going to make myself happy then. And that came from pain of, like, betraying myself, uh, not making myself happy to try to make others happy, clients, employees, parents, church, the perfect world would be this dance, this harmony, where in taking care of yourself, it automatically takes care of everyone else around you. I love uh, this metaphor that hell is a place where, um, well, you can imagine heaven and hell, and each of them have a feast. In heaven, um, everyone has these really long spoons. And, okay, I fucked it all up. <laughs> I don't actually remember it too well. But the basic premise of it was, there was a dinner where people had these really long spoons and they were too long to be able to feed themselves, but they could feed others is the point of it. And mm-hmm. I think that finding a way to like, um, I don't, yeah, I guess it's, it's a mixed metaphor, but just finding a way to take care of yourself does in the end help other people. And if you can find a way to um, balance all that out, then that is going to create a better outcome than I'm, constantly giving everything for you know another person who might not even find a way to appreciate that sacrifice or whatever you know like mm-hmm. the best outcome um is 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 in putting your oxygen mask first so i think we've hit that topic enough um let's hop back to uh the timeline of of where you're at so um we're founding big monocle we're stressed out yeah. We're overworked. We've hired a CEO, uh, COO to take on some of that burden. Um, is this what year is this? Are we at like 2018 now? Oh no, we jumped forward to the last couple of years. So okay, we're at okay, like, so 2021. This is like 2020, 2021. Yeah. Nice. 
Okay, so this is yeah. how you're starting to get this free time and um, take some kind of, of that ownership of your life back yeah. and, and be more intentional about things. Um, but you also extend that privilege to your employees. And I think you have some yeah. like inter interesting insights there. <clears throat> well, an attempt to like put on my own oxygen mask to like have something to give to stay in the game. Um, I had in 2017, I was, you know, really had been deconstructing my faith, which is super traumatic. And then um, burning out with, with work and my team had grown to 13 people which was a, you know, that's a big payroll to be responsible for. And it was just all very stressful. Um, and we had a project go kind of sideways and, uh, which had never happened. And cause I'm a perfectionist and I do everything really well. In fact, our clients rely on us to get anything done that they need to with a high degree of care. Cause that's just what we do. We're all in with our clients. And I realized like, I'm not all in and I hate the work and I, mm. I'm, I'm actually not, I'm not loving the work. I'm not loving the clients. I'm not loving my team. I'm just, I'm like going through the motions because I started this thing and it's, you know, how I take care of my family momentum. and it's what I'm doing. And yeah. And like, but I don't know how much longer I can do this. In fact, I, I literally said that to my husband probably in 2017, like, I don't know how much longer I could do this. And he's like, Oh, you're so strong. You're always amazing. You'll be fine. And, and, you know, kind it's of true. Me on and I like, <laughs> I like grabbed his arm and I was like, no, I really don't know how much longer I can do this. I might just have to shut it down. Like I'm too tired. Well, describe what that feels like that burnout. I mean, I've been there. It's such a hard place to feel like you're not engaged with your work. Like you really want to find that spot where your whole work is play. It's all just a pleasure. It's all joy, but mm -hmm. it's so rare. It's like the impossible thing. And, and I think people get burned out when they're working for an outcome that doesn't actually arrive, but yeah. how would you define it? I mean, that's how it felt like it was like after this project, after this month, after this thing, we'll have some joy, we'll have some fun, we'll have success. And, you know, I was having success and I was having money and I was still like waiting for the moment where I could actually enjoy it. So fu functionally, I did not have the life I wanted. Uh, because of the business that I was running and because of the way I was running the business. And I mean, that was a huge realization. And then I just got too tired to, to quite frankly, even go on. So I had to figure something else out. And the, the burnout feeling was one of like, I'm empty. I have like nothing. I'm like a dry well or an empty vessel. There's nothing in here to pour from. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I was so tired. I just didn't have any energy. I was rationing my fucks if i can say can i say that on this podcast oh you could say anything <laughs> okay yeah. well I was, I was rationing my fucks and i hate that feeling i hated like i can only care this much about a good this way to put it or, it's a good benchmark rationing your fucks yeah i like that yeah i can only care this much about this project and only this much about this client and only yeah. this much about this person because i have literally only a few drops if anything left and i'm trying to take care of everything and in reality like you're not doing your best work when you're that empty and you're not for I any was, part of it. Yeah, nobody is. And I also realized like, I actually want what I want more than anything is to be in love with the work the way I was in my early career. I wanted to be all in. I didn't want to be rationing. I wanted to be just all in. I wanted to, cause I, when you are all in, it feels so good. It's like anything that you're all in on. It's, I bet there's it's, a word for this. Anything that you're all in on, I cut you off. I don't know. What's the word? 
Uh, like just some entrepreneur's dilemma where you start the thing because you're a creative and you want to do it your way and you have ideas on how to get it done. But then in the success of it, you have to take on all these different roles to make it actually happen, to, sh to package and ship the product or call the customer, secure the client, whatever it is. And all of that is like the work that some people are really good at. They love it. That's their pride and joy. It's a defined scope and they can execute. And those people are like the best um, to ally with and to partner with. But I think it's really one, it's hard to find like those people. That's its own job. Everything is just work, you know, like going to the grocery store is work, cleaning the kitchen, everything, everything. And it all takes yeah. time and attention and energy. Managing Managing humans, managing clients, managing, managing and making payroll and the it. stress of that. And yeah. this person wants a raise and that person's not doing their job. And yeah. yeah I would, I would and how do I get us all like enthused and ener energized for this thing? Yeah. And you know, yeah. it's what, what happens often with entrepreneur entrepreneurs is you're good at one thing. Like you're really good at doing a podcast or designing something or making a pie. And then you decide to open a business that does that because you're so good at it. And suddenly you've created a job for yourself that's full of things you're not good at at all. And so it's an invitation to doubt yourself. And yeah, yeah, it's an invitation for growth at every level. Because suddenly, if you haven't ever managed people, you're managing people because you can't do it all yourself. And, you know, if you're if you're a pie baker and you've been baking pies in your kitchen and people want them and you start to open your own shop then suddenly like you have early morning, you have like shopping and food deliveries that need to happen. You have prep that needs to happen. You have baking, you have cleanup, you have running the register, you have dealing with orders. You have, you know, maybe you start shipping domestically. Maybe you decide to open up a, some kind of innovative storefront or kiosks or, you know, there's like so many ways to make a lot of money with cupcakes these days or pies or, you know, yeah. whatever it might be. Um, that you start doing a lot of things you've never done before and you're, you're actually not good at cause you don't have any experience or you haven't been through the, you know, you haven't earned it yet. So it's like, you can read some well, books not on a, leadership. And you might not, and you might not have the same level of interest to develop those skills. Yeah. And, um, and for some people it's like, they just don't want to manage people at all. Like it's a whole thing and it's hard to be good at it. It's like parenting. It's actually not oh, totally. instinctive. It's not instinctive to be a good leader. It's not instinctive to be a good manager. So you have to have the aptitude or interest in developing that. And, you know, how do oh, I... Oh, it's terrifying. Somebody's going to rely on you for their career growth, for their life, for their income. Like who wants that? That's yeah. a lot of heavy burden. How do, you, how do you get the best out of them? How do you make sure they're okay? How do you correct them? Yeah. How do you... Yeah, it's all it's all big. It's all hard. And it's all, it's you know, for someone like me who and most of us, I think, have perfectionistic tendencies. There's a lot of like what's the question that was really damaging for me was what's wrong with me? Like, why is this so hard? How come I can't? Do Were you this? asking that of yourself? This? Yeah. Because hmm. um, there can be such a perception, too, of like other people not struggling with it. When, of course, I don't actually think there are people who are good at all of that. I think yeah. most, you can be, at best, you could be good at finding people who can fit those roles and tenacious yeah. about swapping them out if they're not, yeah. uh, if they're not doing the job and like getting the right person and, and building the right culture. Like 
it's hard. All of that is hard. And just when you think like, okay, we got all the right people and here we go. Now, finally, we're like just shipping. We're just working on our product. We're just working on the business. Like something will happen. Like somebody really important. Natural disaster. Who was incredible. Or you, you spent a ton of money on a salesperson who hasn't landed a sale in six months. And now what do you do? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a never ending onslaught of all of that. So, um, I think one thing I learned was that there was nothing wrong with me and there's nothing wrong with any of the people watching this podcast either. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. People put so much burden on themselves, um, to be perfectionists and, to and to handle everything. But in, in what's cool though, with, in the entrepreneurial field is if you can push past that and you can break through, through finding the right people, the right clients, building the flywheel, getting every, you know, getting the full rotation of the machine going. So you're just, you have this engine, all you got to do is feed it gas. That's where yeah. you really start to fly, right? It like, feels, that's where it's I mean, and cool. there's nothing that feels better than that, honestly, right? It's just like one but of the But that's a breakthrough moment. That's like nobody can really plan for that or know when it's going to happen. It's just comes from a consistency over time and pushing past every hurdle. Yeah. So it can seem like that's where the burnout comes is you're trying to get to that infinite runway and stable life and happy, good vibes for everyone that's in your sphere of influence even and also responsibility. But um, damn, hard to get there. Yeah. Well, that's why I think how I got to the place I'm at right now, which is beautiful, like so beautiful, like where I just feel like lucky to be doing everything I'm doing and living the life I'm living was deciding that that I wanted it that way. Like, okay, uh, I am, I'm not willing to grind anymore. I'm not willing to, to suffer. I'm not willing to, uh, hate my life or like be waiting for some magical day in the future when I could actually enjoy my life because of all the work I've been doing. I wanted to enjoy it now, which helped be this guiding star of like, okay, now I know what things to work on so that I can actually get there so that I can actually like build this life that I want and be living this life I want now, not suffering and grinding and holding on for that day when I retire. And then I can use the money I made in this window to like enjoy my life. So, so you're saying that the roadmap came from looking at the future and being like one day when I arrive, this will be the thing. No, you got to work on all that today. Like that is your action items for the day. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I just hated it so much. I couldn't go on if I wanted to, you know, it kind of became to that. That's why I hired someone to help like operationalize everything. Cause I couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't even an option. I couldn't just grind anymore. I couldn't push through with just my sheer will. I had, I had to change something or I wasn't going to be in the game anymore. I was well, literally like fantasizing like a... about bagging groceries. <laughs> so yeah, it's almost like you have, well, just, I get that doing something totally different. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's almost like you have, you were talking about, is your uh, cup full? Is your cup empty? Well, it's mm-hmm. definitely going to be always empty if you have like this arrival mentality that yeah. like one day, and I've, I'm like the guiltiest, the worst at this, um, that one day it'll all be, you know, worth it. One day it'll all be better. And truly when I'm performing my best, when I'm, you know, sleeping well, doing everything that I have set for myself as a standard that I think is a good thing to do mm-hmm. is when I'm not in this arrival mentality 
when I'm just waking up and I'm like, I am going to go for a run with my dog and that's all I'm going to do today. And it's going to be awesome. You yeah. know, and I'm like, and, and fuck everything else because that's yeah. my life. That's the life I built and that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I'm in a very, I'm very grateful and privileged to be able to do stuff like that. Just like, uh, you know, anyone who can take a month and go to India. And so this stuff, uh, it's not like it's so easy or accessible, but I think it's helpful for people to see that um, you can build an intentional life. And even when things go wrong, even when you have disasters, even when you're putting too much pressure on yourself, you can just step back and like really look at the long term. Where am I trying to go? We'll just live that today. Yeah. It's the story of the, it's the fisherman, uh, where like the rich billionaire goes on vacation, talks to the fisherman, sees how good he is. He's like, well, if you turn this into a business, you could be selling millions of fish and then you could go fishing all the time. The fisherman's like, I, that's my life. I already do that. <laughs> like I literally mm -hmm. already do that. And so I think a lot of this stuff comes back to like, how much is enough? How much yeah. Like, what, what do you really want in this world? Like, a homeless person is perfectly happy. They're as rich as a millionaire. And then you meet millionaires, decamillionaires, and they're the poorest people around. They're, like, clipping coupons and picking up pennies. Like, oh, it's like an attitude. Like, wealth is an attitude. Mm -hmm. Don't, yeah, and they're waiting for that moment, that arrival, for when they can love it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, something to think about, the arrival mentality. Um, Did you hear that? Sorry, there was, like... Was that thunder? I don't what know that? what that is. It almost felt like... Like an airplane, an maybe? earthquake, or like I got hit by... Our building got hit by a car or something. Really? It's, it's like moving off into the distance. I was... Sorry, that was very disruptive. <laughs> I, I thought it was an airplane. <laughs> um, so let's talk... Uh, so, let's get... Well, well you know, I think standing you know. there, like, the possibility I'm creating, the reason I'm writing a book is because I believe that we can love our lives and I believe that we can do that right now. And that's what I want for myself. I want to love my life where it is that we, and that that's work is a huge part of our lives. So we're loving our work again and we're not making these distinctions between work and life and like trying to balance these two things. Like, no, it's just all a life and it's all something that we can love if we decide to, and we decide to get it, make it good for us. And I think we're, the more, the more you can lean into making it the way you want, then you have the life you want. At the then the work isn't work. Doing the the work. Your and then, yeah, that's all part of it. So I think like by simply deciding I was going to get it good so that I could stay in the game and I could stay interested and, and, and be in love with the work and be in awe of the work, be all in on the yeah. work. Yeah. It, it was simply a decision I had to make. And it starts with like yeah. stopping pretending everything's fine and you can go on forever. Well, yeah, I mean, people need breaks and, uh, and they have limits, but just like having that passion and having that enthusiasm is so rare for people. I feel like I was missing it for most of my life and it's purposelessness that is like, maybe even like the root of nihilism of nihilism is like feeling like, well, what is the point? Honestly, I've never been more depressed in my life. I've, I've, I'm sure I've said this 50 times, but it's a true fact and it's interesting when then when the number in my bank account was highest that's when i was sleeping until 2 a.m didn't know what to do with myself had no motivation now it wasn't great to have the stock market implode and like other you know none of those things i would have yeah. preferred either but still like there you have to change your mind you're never gonna have enough like you just gotta be happy with where you're at and what you're doing 
And I think that comes back to purpose. So you got to find your purpose in your work and like really be enthusiastic about that. Isn't so that overwhelming though? Is, is it, well, is it overwhelming to think about purpose? Cause it always has been for me. Um, I think it's a little bit like, is what is purpose? Like, is that like saying like, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of my existence? Are those the same question? Um, like what's overwhelming in the question? I just think it can be really overwhelming to say that people need to figure out their yeah. purpose. Uh, I agree. It helps. Like if you know where you're going next year or this year, or um, I think if you know your purpose for the next year, it's massively helpful. And if you know your purpose yeah. in five years, it really helps you decide what it is you want to accomplish in this, this particular year. Like if you're, if you're going to write a book, you might start by writing some articles. Um, right. Or if you, it's like that, the direction like you're goal setting. That's like goal setting. I mean, I think that's obviously very important stuff to do. Yeah. When I think of purpose, I almost think you got to start at your deathbed. Who's the, who's there? First of all, who's in the room? Are you alone or are there people? If they're people, who are they? Are they your friends or are they your family? If they're your family, how did they get to be your family? You know, like, and then you right. just start like deconstructing how did you get those kids? through the decades. <laughs> yeah. How did you get those kids? Like you'd have to probably have a date to have a kid. Right. But yeah, well, that's you really, start deconstructing. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting because I, we often do this as a brand exercise. We have, and we have them, we usually kick off yeah. with death. So I'll have them write an obituary to the project or the the brand or the company or whatever it is we're working on. We were talking about that. And yeah, when you write the obituary, it starts to reveal what's really important in the initiative. Yes. Um, fast forwarding to the end. So I was just saying, I think it's, it's hard uh, to know what your purpose is. Um, I think, but maybe it's, maybe that question is a little loaded for me because I kind of have a short term view of that right now. Um, well, I, th I think it's hard. It's like asking a kid what they want to be when they grow up. It's like, fuck if I know, like I'm a kid, yeah. you know, like I've known. Yeah. Idea. It's like, why? But I think I can ask myself today. I think it's good to do that exercise. Some people have it mm -hmm. concretely visualized, you mm -hmm. know, they know they want to be mayor and then governor and then president, you know, like, or whatever it is. They like, mm -hmm. they can, they want those kinds of goals and they can set those kind of goals. But, uh, for me, I think, a similar thing of being in purpose is what makes my heart beat? Mm -hmm. Like that's what, a great question. Yeah. What, what is it that what I want to experience feel alive. right now? Yeah. yeah. What, 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 what have you experienced that, that wakes you up? Yeah. And then if I'm in that, then I'm in purpose. Um, totally. And so once you have some of the, what, what just, do you have any other questions? Cause that was a really good one. <laughs> like how else <laughs> purpose? Define purpose, yeah. Oh, I don't yeah, you like know. Maybe, asking, maybe your gentle listeners won't have any stress about the word purpose. I just brought it up because I feel like it, no, I it's think overwhelming it's important. to me. Um, I, think, I, think, I think everyone struggles with this. Yeah, I think discovering like what's your unique ability, what, what is it that you're... Because we've talked about how to really be living a great life, you kind of have to be in your highest potential. You have to be operating in your mm -hmm. place of unique ability. What is it that mm -hmm. you're uniquely good at and that if you want to make a living out of it, like that people will pay you for. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, anyone who's seen American Idol knows that you can love something and not be good at it. 
and love singing mm-hmm. and suck at it. So you kind of have mm-hmm. to be realistic about the things you love and uh, as well as like your what you're actually good at them. Um, and yeah. what people are eager and willing to pay you for um, and, you know, doing what you love. So I think, I think it's a beautiful process of, of self-approval, self-permission. Um, it's really nice to get some feedback from other people about what you're really good at. Um, I re- went through that process a couple of years ago. I emailed my clients and people close to me and asked them what I was uniquely good at. Um, that would be such valuable feedback, actually, because so often people see us in one light that we don't see ourselves. And it's very difficult to see yourself in the way that others see you. And that's all your blind spots are the ways that others see you that you don't see yourself. Yeah. Or even not even sometimes you don't know how good you are at certain things because it's just your way of being in the world. It's just I've had people just stare at me and say, do you even know what it's like to be you? Um, And I'm like, no, I actually don't (laughs) know. Or, or to struggle with this thing that comes un- yeah. easy to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People are different in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And the variance is good so that we have diversity. I and, forgot how we got yeah, there. Yes. That was from purpose to unique. Ability. Well, we were talking about your book. Um, yeah. The work isn't work. Yeah. And so I think how you <laughs> get into these places is you just start by asking those type of questions. Like really, what is it that Mm -hmm. um, wakes you up or, or I I can't remember quite how you put it, but that's the work you should be doing. Like your, why your heart beats. Yeah. What makes your heart beat? Yeah. Faster. Yeah. And another good question for that. um, Like what makes your heart beat? What is the work? Ah, damn, I lost it. But, um, I think it's all, I think it all comes back to intentional life design and Mm -hmm. you don't want to wake up. You're going to wake up tomorrow and be a decade older. And then the next day you're going to be dead. So that's just going to happen. Hey, you know, now it's, now it's time for Billy Joel and Vienna. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. Because you can get what you Uh, want or you can just get old. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What are the lyrics of that? That's so good. Uh, And then we got to also talk about Um, these retreats because the creative, uh, vibe that you set there, I think is something that people should know about and, and your process and how you do Yeah. Um, so, well, my realization of the distinction between play at work and play in the work are big. I think early in the early days of Big Monocle, I wanted to, I wanted to have some play. I wanted to feel alive. I, I didn't want to just grind, but I didn't, I didn't really know how. And these were the days of like early Google, maybe not super early Google, but like when client, when companies were first like putting um, ping pong tables in the kitchens and offering bikes and having meals and like all this stuff. So I was also like buying lunch for my, we were downtown uh, Redwood city and I was buying lunch every day for my team. And like, we were playing games for little breaks to try to energize us. And, and looking back, it's kind of cringy because it's, it's so misses the point of it's like, um, it's like manufactured. Yeah. Well, it's play at work instead of play in the work. Right. So it's, it's like trying to offset the shit of work with a little bit of fun, a little bit of free lunch, uh, 
a little ping pong to like energize us so we can go back to the grind instead of making the work play, like playing in the work. So you're not grinding to begin with. So that yeah. you're having fun to begin with. And, and yeah. one of the reasons we write an obituary at the beginning of a project is you're writing copy and you're, you're distilling ideas and you're naming things without knowing you're even working on it. So it's very play. It's yeah. very playful way to work on copy. So all of a sudden in 10 minutes, you've generated 12 different blocks of copy that but you'll take like these the pillars kind of, of the project or Amazon studio exec type people and you'll get them in a room and you'll get them singing, you know, you'll get them dancing, yeah. you'll get them moving. And I yeah. think that you're doing that and, and maybe you can talk more about some of the ways that you do this, but I think the way that you're doing that is to open up everyone's mind and to get the juices going yeah, and, and just to get in like the work in a sharing, playful, yes, mood. They're so playing so in how the do work, you, they don't, they're not playing between the work. That's the distinction. It's not ping pong tables yeah. and then grinding. It's like full on play. In it's the not, let me build like a trap house that has every luxury snack and great thing that you'd ever want so that you spend as much time there as possible to give everything you have to the institution. It's how do you actually truly derive your satisfaction from the labor itself? Yes. Which is like awesome. If you can get it's there. winning, ring the bell is winning. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. the ultimate winning. That's Doesn't winning. matter how much you make. Yeah. It, yes. Every other stat goes out the window. Yeah. In the, in the face of that. Yeah. Yeah. So and how do you get your clients? Up. Talk to us about these retreats and <laughs> what they're for and, and how you've been able to create these environments where people feel like the work isn't work and then get these great outcomes from yeah. the final product in culture yeah. and design. So we, we kick off every project with a sprint or a retreat. And the reason we do that it's, is it's the fun and fast way to get a ton of stuff done in three days and eliminate the first two months of a project where you're death by a thousand meetings. You're like taking a briefing, mm -hmm. even though like it was carefully written and everyone's reviewed it and you did a kickoff call. And then if we go to work based on that, we're on a very shaky foundation. Like I can't tell you how, how often the creative brief actually leaks out out of during the first month or two of a project. Cause it's like, we go to do round one and things are scoped in rounds. Like we're going to do three rounds like this and then we'll be in final round and then we'll be in production. And <clears throat> that first round is always like, actually, we just realized that this isn't our audience. This yeah. is our audience or this isn't the way we want to show up in the world. This is the way, and, you know, it's by and getting a three together, week we're like latency short... between replying to emails. And before you know it, it's like three months have passed. What, yeah. you know, like this is supposed to be a, three yeah, we got on a totally, we got on a, it's always like the three month project that takes six months or longer or a four month project that takes. So you bypass months, you know? all that by just getting people physically together <laughs> in a room, yep. which is awesome. Definitely the yep. right way to do it. You have yeah. eye contact. I mean, this is great. I, but like if we were yeah. together, we would have even more of uh, we'd be even more dialed in, you know? Yeah, exactly. And people today don't want to they they think they don't have time to do something like that and in, like initially, but the reason, like the reality is we don't have time not to do it like that. And you do have to pay the price of insane attention, which is one of our values at Big Monocle. Like, yeah. I don't want to do this if I can't put insane attention on that. And that means that we're all there and we're off our phones and you know, there's, there's no phone rules at the sprint. Um, we have very, we have pretty strict agreements about how those go and what, when you can use devices and how you can use them. And, 
it now, keeps how did everyone's... you learn any of this? Yeah, it keeps everyone um, locked it's... in together. <clears throat> I don't know, from 15 years of doing it the hard way and hating yeah. it. Like, why sure. are we doing it like this? Why are we draining our energy and a client's energy? Why are we doing this over a million meetings that are spaced out, you know, a week apart and where we forget what we were doing and then we're back in it and then we forget. And the minute I leave this meeting with a client, I'm like working on another client's stuff. And so I'm not fresh and like in the flow. I'm like mm-hmm. splitting my time like this mm-hmm. and then draining my energy, which I'm not up for anymore. Right. <laughs> I've decided I am not doing energy drain and it's not available. So if you want to do it with me, it's because I've decided we're going to pay the price to focus and put our attention on this and we can get a ton done if we do that. And it's a better way, like objectively. It's a way better way. Our attention is the most valuable resource we have. There's nothing more scarce and more valuable than our attention. Right. Even more not only is it your time. time it, right. Yeah. I've never thought of that. But, well, mm-hmm. do you want to tell us why? No, you tell me why. Oh, well, I think it's because, I think it's because your, it's not just your time, it's your focus, your energy, your, your life force. And it's like, you can give somebody your time, but not really be there. You can be in a conversation, but you're not really listening. It's when you're really focused, that is more valuable than time. Mm -hmm. Research says it takes people 20 minutes to switch meetings. So we think that we're hopping in corporate America from meeting to meeting to meeting all day and that we're being effective and we're showing up, but really like it, you haven't even switched from the last thing you were working on to mm-hmm. this next thing before the meeting's like almost over. And then you're and immediately you going on to something else. Back to back meetings. I mean, yeah. in my snap days, my calendar would literally be back to back sometimes for days and weeks at a time. Yeah. And you do get this operational efficiency, I guess, where like, you had this meeting last week, so you have the carryover from this week and the action item, like you get into a routine, but still you're, especially if it was a good meeting, meaning something happened, like there was an important decision made or an important problem raised, then you're still gelling on that. You're still thinking about that. And that is actually, and it's also important to just have time to talk to people after the meeting. And I don't know, like Mm -hmm. meetings in the way that we're talking about is like very bad. The right way to do it is get everyone in a room, get all of the energies synced up, get them all creative, and then you got the juices blown. And if juices. you have two teams that now know, like, and trust each other, yeah. you know, you've looked into each other's eyes. You've, you've had the opportunity to disagree for a couple days over certain directions or certain things, and that's what we want. We want, do we call it thrash the creative brief or, like, let's, let's have the, the disagreements and the arguments now so that we're all really stable it's like anyone who thought like maybe it was this instead of this that's being spoken to so that you you've kind of shaken out clarified and now we're all standing on a strong foundation we know where the the bullseye is or like the bowling pins are this way and now we can start throwing stuff at it without like throwing a ball over here hoping to hit bowling pins that aren't even over here they're over here so and and being comfortable um, and calling somebody out that they're aiming at the wrong lane or something you know like oh or challenging and but one of the one of my favorite things that you opened with last time is you just opened with a song and karaoke and this is like a business retreat like these are like you know (laughs) this is the leadership team so tell us why you did that yeah i mean this this was for amazon this project um 
And they don't start meetings with a song. They start meetings with uh, reading silently for 20 minutes, a big report. Um, And I did it that way because I was making sure to bring everyone to the meeting and making sure they understood we were going to have a good time. And then it gave me an opening to say, we are going to enjoy the work we're doing because I will enjoy it. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing it this way. But it's also going to lead to our highest performance ever. We're going to get so much done. And we can get so much done because we're here, because we're in this container of focus. So I opened with Billy Joel because I love the song Vienna. Um, And the lyric that I love is, And you know that when the truth is told, you can get what you want or you can just get old. You're going to kick off before you even get halfway through. Anyway, so the idea that like... But time is going to pass. We're going to do this yes. project regardless. We can do it in a way that fuels our energy, fills our cups, um, fuels momentum, or we can do it in a way that drains us and sucks us and grinds us down. It's really like we have the choice. We're holding it. Like yeah. These are the people in the room who are tasked with getting this done. And do we want to do it like the best? Like when, when I talk about like having fun and enjoying life. I don't mean we're not doing hard things. We're going to do this project regardless and it's going to rock regardless, but are we going to enjoy the process? Are we going to enjoy the output? Are we going to bring our best thinking to it? Are we going to grind it and make it like a punishing um, task because that, that somehow means that we're working because we're suffering. Like I think I actually can keep people working so long. Like we start at nine and we usually don't wrap till 10. And everyone's energy is super high. So like we are satisfied, tired at the end of that. We are like, that's a yes. day. You can never do that in a, in a, in an office building. You can't do it there. And you get to, everyone gets too tired. You, you just can't keep your energy up. So by making it um, fun and play and in the right kind of destination and space and place, suddenly like you can, you can go longer. You can have more discussions. You can do more work. You can, Yep. You can thrash things harder because you're not so, draining the cup. Yeah, and it's you're satisfied and ready satisfying. to do it again. Yes, that is the key word. Is you're not flopping into the bed at the end of the night, being like, "Oh, that was such a hard day. I'm just glad it's over. I'm glad." And you know, I've had a million days like that. You're, but I've also had a very few very satisfying days where mm-hmm. I feel like I'm exhausted. I'm going to fall asleep in two seconds, and it's because that was everything I had that day. Like I just mm-hmm. couldn't do anything better than I did. And you're and excited and ready are, to do rare. it again the next day. Yes. Like that's yeah. how and then it you feels. Get, yes, totally. Yeah. So, but another reason I asked that question was, I just think it's important that you're creating, one of the things that I can appreciate about a session like this is you're creating the same vibe for everyone. And music is going to do that. It's going to get everyone in the same place. And it's also very vulnerable to sing karaoke. It's something, and to dance and to move. These are things that people aren't very comfortable doing, especially in front of their coworkers. And I think that really sets the right stage for creativity and openness and ideas and getting into that flow. Yeah. Creation, creation, also perfection. If we're talking about, you know, we we started talking about perfection and we can come back to it a lot because perfection is grind. Perfection is punishing. Perfection is suffering. It's, it's so, it stops creativity. It shuts things down. If you're sitting in front of the blank page, whether you're going to write or paint or draw 
or storyboard or write a screenplay or whatever it is you're doing and you only want good, perfect things to come out, you actually stifle all of your creativity. Like nothing beautiful mm-hmm. can come out when you sit with that. So mm-hmm. also at Sprints, I remove a lot of, I almost remove, you can't be perfect. Like we're talking zero fidelity mm-hmm. prototyping. We're talking, uh, you know, giving people five minutes to write an obituary to the project. We're, we're talking quantity over quality at every every step of the way. So like if we're sketching logos, which I make everyone at the sprint do it, whether like none of them are creative, usually none of our clients, they hired us to do that, but I'm still going to make them sketch. And it's a quantity over quality contest because I want to see almost like replicating AI, like before we could go to, you know, chat GPT or Dolly or something to generate logos. And I still, we can use that tool for things like that, but it's, it's like, let's just do as much as we can. Cause if you hold it's back the proliferation for of perfection, ideas. nothing can come out. So especially not your most beautiful things. Like the first things that come out are going to be safe and try and like seen before and they're going to make sense in your head. So I push people on and give you impossible standards so that there is no expectation of perfection. If I gave you a whole day mm-hmm. to write an obituary and then you had to come back and share it, that would be terrifying because it has to be good. Mm-hmm. Spend so much time on it. I give you five minutes. It doesn't matter. Like I'm happy to go first. I'm happy to share how bad mine is. Um, inevitably, most of what we end up creating is really good. And we we make it that way all along the way. So there is no the, – the name of the game is – is to be in creation and in motion and generating and creating and not to be in perfection and not to be in grind. And I think that's such a, a salient point that if you did give them the whole day to write a brief or come up with a logo, they would be sitting there perfecting it. They would be like worried about like the border radius or the color. No, like just give me the shape. I just want the form of something. Give me the yeah, idea, the, rough the, idea, the outline. We'll and, perfect it later. We're going to get there. Like, right. It's right. going to, but not right now and not. But so, not so part of what you're doing in, in this exercise, at least from my perspective is idea generation. And that's really useful for just getting everyone aligned, but what's more useful. And I think has, is the undertone to everything is that you're actually are creating the culture and the brand through the interactions mm-hmm. with all the people in the room. And if it's a startup, I think that's like especially important because they have no culture. And if it's a established company, I also think it's important because they don't have their culture well defined. If it is defined, it's propaganda that somebody wrote 10 years ago that people just, you know, I don't know. Like there's there's a lot of value in just interacting at the same level with people. You're going to get aligned. Yeah. Through through music and through art and through creativity and ideas and discussion, all that stuff. So what are some of the other um, things like you guys do dinners, you do you're in this really beautiful environment, like all of this stuff, it contributes to the vibe, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, you have to be in nature. You have to be in a yeah. room that you're not in all the time. You can't be in the conference room where you're in every time you go to work, do work like this. So um you know, for me, it's green spaces, it's mountaintops. Um, we run all of our sprints at Sundance, Utah, because it's where I live, and that's where I want to be. You have world-class views, you have you have clarity, you have uh, elevated heights, elevated states, you know, like that. the space and the place is really important. Um, uh, the word that keeps coming to mind is psychedelic, set and setting. It, probably. 
like the not that they're going on a trip necessarily, but just that they're opening their minds in a different way. Yeah. And you need, I think that that is the magic of, of what I do and why people want to, you know, hire us, pay our fees, pay the price to focus is because they want someone who can create the space in the place where you can do the best work of your career and you can enjoy the process. And, and so that's, it is setting a space and intention to do great work. And often with branding, it's, it is shamanic in, in ways it's because you're, you're helping them through a threshold, right? They've come to a certain point in their culture or their brand. And now they need to make the next step. And like so many things that they did or built Mm -hmm. that were good and that helped them get where they were have to be let go of in order to do, Mm -hmm. to reach the next place, especially with brand, especially with culture. So if you're, it's like we do a lot of work to, to literally and metaphorically go on walks where you're stepping into a new space and you're taking the moment to turn back and look down the mountain and say, like, honor how far you've come. Cause like people get really attached to like all those hard things they did that aren't serving them anymore yeah. or those yeah. processes they put in place that aren't serving them anymore. Or the colors that they are using that aren't serving them anymore, whatever it is, totally. you get kind of attached. We're humans. Like we built that. We suffered a lot for that thing, but that thing isn't inherently valuable anymore right so especially over time a real shamanic process if you've ever tried to do a logo for a startup that had one and the ceo wasn't in the logo sprint which i've done this or in the logo process and then you bring them things and they're like i they can't even pick because they weren't part of the whole process and the ritual of letting go of the past and honoring the work it was and and like clearly saying yeah we want to let those those things go so that we can take this lab then now they're ready for new and they're ready to like to build on that to take the next lap to step into that. So, so I had a friend. Think, oh, please continue. Call my call my process like it's like a shamanic ritual for your brand, and it, I think yeah. it is. Totally, and I think people need to do something like that to appreciate how that can open their mind up. Um, the question that keeps coming to my mind is like what is a brand? Why are logos important? If I'm a CEO and I'm just looking at this symbol, this icon, this glyph, like, yeah, what, what are you trying to capture in these things and then distill? Well, a brand is, if you're a CEO and you're looking at your balance sheet, is it's, it's an intangible asset on your balance sheet. So a really powerful brand can actually make yeah. you money. Um, if you think about, uh, if you want to decide to talk about uh, Zappos, they made, uh, what was it, an, an extra $20 million for the culture, an extra $20 million for the brand. Like a, yeah. a, It's like something that can actually, it's not a tangible asset, but it adds, it adds money to your bottom line. It's actually where the majority of like Coca-Cola and a lot of other brands get their Snapchat, like value, you know, daily users aside, it's that there's tremendous brand value. Yeah. Tremendous brand value. And Um, what is a brand though? Like a, yeah, like (laughs) it's a gut feeling. Right. Um, so a brand is not a logo and it's not a color palette and it's not, um, any one thing that a, that a company is doing, but it's a, it's the symphony. It's like the, 
it's the combination of all those things. So it's, it's the logo and the color palette and the sound and the music and the, the photography and the film and the act activities, like what kind of events are they doing? What, what are they doing to support the brand? And, and, yes. you know, it's the packaging, it's the, it's the, the concert of all the things together is a brand, but you, it's formed in an individual's gut. So yeah. Yep. Cause you have a relationship what, to a brand. Yeah. So it's, it's what I like a brand is what you say it is. It's what I say it is in my mm -hmm. gut. And there, you know, we've, we've talked about branding before. So we've talked about brands that I might love that you might hate or that, you mm -hmm. know, that somebody would have a lot of affinity for. And I just like greatly or don't care about. Um, and when we're working on branding, we're trying to influence the customer's perception through all the things mm -hmm. we're doing and through all the brand activities, through advertising and marketing and logos and colors and sound and events and packaging and, we're help, trying to help them feel the brand in surround sound, social media, podcasts. I think that that's the commercial end where you're trying to capture like the company's values and the mission statement and the ethos and everything in this symbol. And we call that a logo and it's got a color guide. But I think the intangible part that is irreplicable or it's intangible is the relationships that people have to brands, just like you're saying, like, you, like maybe I really like Nike, maybe you really like Adidas, who knows? Who knows why that is? Um, but you do, people have relationships with brands and that's why they can tell when something is, they have opinions, right? That's on brand, that's off brand. And they, it's a feeling, they just feel it. Yeah. And so that's a really creative and powerful space to be operating in because it is so undefined. Yeah. Being able to define that, like, what are the brand values? Like, what's what's deeply at the core of this helps you figure out how to do everything. Not only, like, what the logo looks like and what the color palette is, but, like, what, how do you show up in the world? Do you go to trade shows? Mm -hmm. If you go to trade shows, what kinds of things do you do there? What kind of giveaway would you give a client? What kind of, um, what kind of event would you host? Suddenly it starts to guide everything because you have these values yeah. Uh, really clearly defined, it it starts to steer everything and everyone's job gets easier because it's either a really easy yes or no on all the behaviors. Do we package this thing in, you know, really elaborate ways or is that would that be off-brand for some reason? Like, oh, it might be really off-brand because we're all about uh, simplicity or ease or sustainability or, you know, whatever, or, oh, you know, we're really about premium and people really want the highest quality unboxing experience. And so you don't want to send something that's too understated to, you know, it's, it starts to mm -hmm. help you figure out how, how to show up in the world and how it all goes when you've clearly articulated what those values are. And then it also helps the leaders make and everyone involved in the organization make better decisions because they can relate that back to a mission and values and all of that is encompassed in a feeling and so you can just have yeah. an intuition then that this is and that's I think why it's actually really important to get people into this creative space in these retreats because that is where you're really going to set the mission and the values and uh and then yeah. capture all that culture in the brand and the last yeah. step that you're actually getting paid for is the packaging and you know the pixels on the screen but that's like you know What's that saying about uh, if you want to chop down a tree, most of the work is sharpening the axe? 
Yeah. And so you do all that stuff to get to the logo, to get to the pixels. But really, you couldn't have got to the right logo and the right pixels without, uh, without defining all that, without doing all that pre-work. Yeah. And if you're sitting at a company and a startup and you're about to do a product launch and you have only a freelance marketing person or maybe a marketing department of one, suddenly you're like, well, how do we show up in this product launch? Like we work with serious AI chip companies out of Silicon Valley, autonomous drone companies, med tech, whatever. And I see it again and again and again that like the brand was so, um, it's just such a process, right? I'm not going to judge it, but like when you don't have that strong foundation, suddenly people don't know. Like I actually don't know how to launch a product here that would be on brand. And so when you do the, usually it's somebody sitting there that starts to tell the CEO, we actually have to go do some brand work that is deep because none of us know quite how to launch. We don't know what to do on social. We don't know how, how to represent like we can put, we can put the colors on a box, but like we don't, we're, they're all filling at a loss because the tool isn't there, but the tool that's missing isn't, these are the fonts and the colors and the clear space and the grid system. It's, this is how do we like tell everyone who we are? How do we articulate that? How do we, I like to say, like, I want to help you articulate and celebrate who you are because I don't, I don't want to make anyone cool. I want to find out what makes you, you and what makes you tick and what makes you unique. And then just lean into that. Like, let's show like, Oh, that's how you are in the world. Like big monocle, uh, we're champagne and potato chips. Like that's one of the ways we describe ourselves. It's, 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 um, it's like highbrow and lowbrow. Like we, we celebrate the spectrum. It's long, as long as it's good, like potato chips are amazing and champagne's amazing and not everything has to be champagne and caviar and oysters. Like we're also potato chips and dive bars. Cause those are also awesome. They're awesome. also good though. We don't want to be in the middle. We're not like, I won't name any middle brands, but you, you kind of know where I don't want to hang out. Um, well, this is like, I think such valuable information for people to consider when they're starting their own company or challenging an existing company uh, is what is the true like thing that you're trying to accomplish how do we get the people that make the decisions in a room where they can actually be creative and they can actually um, find consensus yeah. and then then you can start to like actually think about like the packaging and it's so cool that you're taking everything that you've learned from like these struggles and be, even before big monocle all the way to like all of your um, success in that agency and, you know, like your travels, all the things that you've done to create this, um, more intentional life and then package that up in a way that is accessible to people. Um, but writing a book is hard, so I won't ask for when it's going to be released. (laughs) I set a goal for myself. Um, actually I had a, I had a Vedic astrology reading. (laughs) I already knew it was this year, but yeah, um, and the the priest, or I don't know what you call these guys, um, he said, I told him I was writing a book, and he's like, oh, yes, this is very good. And then I said, am I on time with it? And he said, oh, yes, you're on time. And then he said, actually, I'll tell you when you're, you'll be late. And he said, after November 30th, 2023, you'll be late. So... 
it's happening at the stars. Um, that's my deadline. Things. I already kind of knew it in, in my own soul, but that that's a deadline. Um, I will say like at sprints, the reason we end up, it is through my own journey of healing and, and mindfulness and, and getting to a place where I wasn't disapproving of myself or my business and, you know, sitting in fear all the time. And I didn't know I was in fear. I was assessing risk, right? That's what we do in business. It's like, this is very risk, but I'm just assessing risk. I'm just meditating on your anxieties and fears. It's a sex, it's assessing risk. Yeah. So uh, through all of that, I learned how to become present, like, um, some of the best work you can do and really high level CEO coaches teach their CEOs to come back to their body, come back to the now, because your head, your brain can go anywhere. Your, your brain can be across the country. It can be in any point of time in the future, in the past, um, in all kinds of imaginary scenarios. So being able to find your body and find the breath, now you can find the present moment. That's the only way we know what right now is because we found our body and our body is always in the now. Um, well, we'll have to do another podcast because we have so much more to talk about on spirituality and meditation and yoga, which I never took you up on and I should have and I regret it and karaoke and all the all the other things that uh, people have to know about you. Uh, but for now, just to wrap up this episode, what uh, what do you want people to know about Big Monocle? Anything we haven't covered? Anything? Maybe we should read Billy Joel's one more time. I have it up here. Can I read it? Sing it with me. Yeah. Uh, I'll try. Uh, well, I don't know if I know the actual melody, but slow um, down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. Juvenile. You're so smart. You're so Tell smart. Me, why are you still, why are so, you still afraid? so afraid? I don't know the song well enough, but Where's I love the, the fire? line. What's the hurry about? You better cool it off before you burn it out. You got so much to do in only so many hours in the day. But you know that when the truth is told, you can get what you want or you can just get old. So I, I think that's that's really like what I'm excited about is that I figured out how to, you know, if we're going to do the project anyway, if we're going to get old anyway, if I'm going to spend the hours at work anyway, I may as well make them good. I may as well love it. The work isn't work. The work's not work. It's play. All right, Amy, you're one of my favorite people. I'm so lucky to have you in my life. Thank you for sharing with us, and we should absolutely do it again. Absolutely, Caleb. I'd be stoked.